as long as you just write and create, you can write 50 stories. You only need one to be good. of us as a kid thumbing through a comic book could transport us to other worlds flying through the universe at the speed of light watching immortal enemies battling to the death and some of us never grew out of it Welcome to the Under the Mask Podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Cologne. Under the Mask Podcast, Episode 10. When a leprechaun hires a private detective to track down a monstrous, fiery unicorn, he finds he may have bit off a bit more than he can chew. Before I get into today's episode, I want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Hitting double digits reminds me of a story I want to tell. On my 10th birthday, my aunt, uncle, and cousins came over to celebrate. I have a very vivid memory when my uncle pulled me aside and he said, make sure you enjoy this because the next zero added on won't be for a long time. I want to thank you for helping to make Under the Mask a successful podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to it because I enjoy making it. Thanks again and let's get to our guest. I'm proud to call today's guest my friend. He's an urban fantasy author and has self-published several books under his Fae Awakening series. You can find his books, Fury, Revenge, Caged, and more at his website, www.willowshire.com. I'd like to introduce Willow Shire. Will, thanks for coming on. Uh, Looking forward to chatting with you, man. It's been a while since I've seen you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting with you too, Bill. So, Will, you're the writer of uh, Fury, Revenge, Cage, and a couple other books set in your Fey Awakening urban fantasy universe. Why don't you take us back and just tell us how you got started as a writer? Uh, well, I guess I guess in a way I've been writing since I was a little kid and didn't realize it. Essentially, what happened is I suffered from depression and ended up going to counseling and working through a lot of those issues. And it kept coming up over and over again that I wanted to write. One of the first questions my counselor asked was, if you could change one thing, what would it be? And I had said my job. And she was like, well, what would you do if you changed your job? And my thing was I would write. At the time, I didn't put anything into it, that sort of thing. It it was about, I want to say four years went by and it kept coming up so often that she's finally like, look, you got to sit down. You have to create, you have to start writing. Uh, So I did, I wrote two books before I wrote Fury. And then when I wrote Fury, I shared that with Katrina and she liked it so much. She was like, Hey, you have to, you have to publish this. And so I published it, started the convention circuit and here I am. 
then as I looked back at on on my life, I was always writing and creating and just never recognized it. I used to make handmade books in uh, grade school and wrote all the time and in high school, different like creative writing projects. I think part of it too is when I was in school, they didn't teach writing as a career option. Um, it was more you took English and you learned grammar and you know structure. You didn't learn actually how to create and uh, that you could do something and make money with it. Uh, so for a long time, I just I didn't know about it. Then when I went to counseling and realized that I had the creative juices to do that and that you could sell books. And I think the uh, the first convention we went to, I might have met you there. I don't remember if I met you there at another one, but it was a Cleveland Wizard World last year, and people were buying the books left and right. And I was like, oh wow, I can I can do this. So I just kept at it and kept creating. Yeah, that's always amazing. Uh, you know, you put so much soul and effort into what you're creating, but the first time you actually go out and sell it, that's the litmus test for you. Yeah, exactly. And you don't, you have no idea what to expect. You know, are, are people going to be nice when they come up? Are they going to want to hear your your pitch? What kind of feedback are you going to get? Uh, so far, the feedback's been really good, uh, especially because I write fantasy, urban fantasy, and it's the way I write is very different from the way most fantasy authors write. Um, it's very easy to read straight to the point where most of the stuff people think about is more detailed, heavy description. And with the way that I've done it, I was surprised at the overall response I was getting from readers that they loved the, um, I don't want to say they're simple books, but they loved the, the ease, how easy they were to read. And they didn't take like, you know, it's not like Game of Thrones where you're taking six months to read the book type of thing. And as I built the audience, it just that's what gives me more motivation to continue writing and creating is people wanting more. I think if people didn't want more, it'd be harder for me to create and that sort of thing because I'd be like, well, if I'm just doing it for me, why I'm, you know, there's no end result to share. And I, the, the ultimate goal is to share your art with somebody. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way with, uh, with what you do. Oh, yeah. What is urban fantasy and what separates urban fantasy from, say, a standard epic fantasy like uh, Tolkien or George R.R. R. Martin? Uh, so urban fantasy, the way, the way I always describe it is monsters, magic in the modern day. So Tolkien's more, I think that would be considered more high fantasy, kind of more like a medieval style adventure, um, you know, uh, castles and knights and goblins and all that sort of thing. My stuff is all modern day. So modern day buildings, technology, that sort of thing. You still have magical elements and then you have the magical creatures, um, the fantasy creatures, dragons, unicorns, goblins, things like of that nature. A lot of times I, I point people to like, even though it's more supernatural, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer could be kind of considered an urban fantasy, um, things like that. Okay, perfect. I like all of us to be on the same page. Yeah, not a problem. Hey, well, now that we know that, tell us about the Fae Awakening. Uh, so the Fae Awakening is a series that started, actually started off a single idea. I wanted to write about a, a unicorn on fire. And I started writing the first book about this unicorn on fire, which um, is going around destroying things, causing mayhem, killing people. And as I wrote, I kind of fell in love with the universe that was developing, the world building part of it, and uh, realized that I had a lot more to create. So it goes into a, a second and third book. I have plans for a fourth through and on with following a character, following the main character, Hunter who's kind of in a way he's he's indentured to this fake council doing their bidding and kind of solving problems in the human world for them he's like the, the human go-between 
and then uh, humans in this world, they can't, they don't know the fae exist, the fae creatures exist. So there's a lot of conflict as uh, the books go on while in the first book, he's hunting the unicorn and there's a lot of things going on that um, interfere with the human world and the fae world. And as time goes on, more and more creatures are introduced and more conflict, conflict is just the word I keep coming back to, more conflict between the fae and human worlds. There's a, an ultimate villain who isn't introduced until I want to say the end of book two. He's introduced in the, the short stories as well that tie in. And my goal is to create a world where the, the main series follows Hunter and then I have offshoots. Like the book I'm working on right now is a book about a brownie. She's a reader favorite. She's a, a really strong, um, kind of vile, volatile character, good character. But I'm working on her backstory and it's a very, very dark story, very um, kind of brutal. The idea was I can write this main line with Hunter, but then I can write books about these other characters so they can have their own standalone books to go with the universe. If you think about Harry Potter and how they've done, they did Harry Potter, then they did Magical Beasts and different offshoots and that sort of thing. Or, or even a comic, comic book, uh, very similar where you have, you know, the Avengers, but then they do offshoots for different characters, which is really fascinating because I, I originally started with one book and then all of a sudden it just exploded. And when I was like, oh, I'm just going to write book two, then that turned after writing book two, it kind of blew up into a complete, hey, I have to do a lot more um, with this uh, this universe you know you said hey, it started out with the one book and then it kind of spiraled out for you it seems to be it was the unicorn on fire just that image and it usually seems that a lot of creators they have just that one image or that one idea and then work it up to fruition and now next thing you know i'm talking to them on the show yeah it's uh it's very interesting because i i'm a what you would call a plotter um because you, you have Panthers and plotters and writing community and panthers are people like Stephen King who just sits down, has no idea, just puts his fingers to the keyboard and writes. Yeah, they're writing by the seat of their pants. Right. And then um, I'm more of a plotter where I'll come up with an idea. So I had like the unicorn on fire idea and I sat with it for probably three, four months coming up, kind of envisioning the story and running the story through my head multiple times. But once I put my fingers to the keyboard, the characters come to life in my head and they actually, I use the plot to keep things moving forward from point A to point B to the the end of that that story. But the characters, they end up telling me things as time goes on. Like Bonnie's a great one because I didn't know I was going to write her backstory. And it wasn't until I wrote Fury and I was kind of in the middle, there's a bar scene where as I'm envisioning the story, she told me her background. Like I had no idea. It was it's just really strange how they come to life and kind of, it's almost like um, you're looking into another dimension and you're watching characters act out their real lives. And because of that, there are a lot of things that come up that you didn't expect so things grow so you might have started with one story but then they start telling you their backstories or hey this is what else is going on in the universe and it just expands from there just touching on that for a little bit what do you think drives fiction more plot or character uh i think it comes down to the writer I think some writers are more plot driven, some more character driven, and some are kind of in between. And just to give you an example, I, I feel like my first two books are more plot driven. And then book three is definitely plot driven. But as I'm writing sequels to those, I'm actually getting more into the mental anguish and the character stuff. 
So for me, it's kind of a little mix of both. But I think I've seen a lot of writers where there are some writers where it, it is very plot oriented. This is what happens. It's not about the what's going on inside of the heads of the characters. And then I've seen other books where it is much more intense what's happening internally and that sort of thing. And uh, I know I find myself doing this sometimes. When you're writing, do you ever like have an idea for where the plot is going to go? But then you realize this character wouldn't talk this way or this character wouldn't do this uh for the most part when i outline what i'm gonna do things stay on track uh they do change the characters do tell me to you know they give me the finger and off they go sort of thing but for the most part i'm able to keep things on track i like a plot just to make sure i get from point a to point b and then as i'm writing it i let it flow and if if they decide to go hey you know this isn't the way i would do things and i let it i just let it be and let let it change to whatever it needs to be changed to so yes that i mean they do do that often um characters do they kind of come alive and they tell you what's supposed to happen um even you can plan for everything but as you start imagining it and actually writing it it's almost like they start telling you what is supposed to happen in those scenes and i think it might not come up for you as much too because you said you're a plotter so you're kind of you're plotting out everything and you probably even thought about that too oh my character wouldn't do that even before you started writing yeah i, I try to go through and just so even my plots they're not uh, super they're not super detailed i try to envision every scene and i put in all the key points that have to happen and then what characters would be there what their actions would be their attitudes to keep things on track but you're right because of that it doesn't happen as frequently as well here's a here's a good example there's there's a great book out there called sometimes the magic works by terry brooks it's about uh, writing fantasy and he writes uh, the shannara series which is a very in-depth detailed fantasy series one of the things he's always said is he's like if you plot if sit with stories you'll never have to write another draft that doesn't mean you won't have edits but it means people and this is this has been my experience when i plot because the scenes are outlined and they're loose enough that the characters can change them to make them what they need to be when it's all said and done other than maybe a few things i need to like add to fix a plot hole or something there's no rewriting that needs to be done versus somebody who, who's a pantser and would have to go back and kind of like oh this character's completely doing the wrong thing i need to chop this scene move something here add this in here take that character out completely i don't run into those types of issues hey well uh tell us a little bit about your writing process do you write everything with a pen and pencil or are you writing everything down on a computer all of my notes, actually, while we're sitting here, I've got pads of paper, notebook, all that sort of thing. I took a walk earlier. I had my little notebook that I carry everywhere and I, I write ideas in um, by hand. I think it's important to write some stuff by hand, not not necessarily your full story, but your ideas. Um, I've always been a proponent of an idea book, you know, writing at least one idea a day. And there's something about just writing it and putting it in a notebook that kind of commits it to memory and make, turn, makes it more alive. But then when I go to actually write the story, I use a computer. Before the podcast, we had kind of talked about Scrivener and Google Drive, different tools like that that help write electronically. But as I do that process, I finish the story. The first thing I do is I do one pass of edits and then I print it. And so I'll go, I'll kind of bounce back and forth between editing on a computer, printing it, editing on paper. 
and editing in different fonts on paper. Like I'll do a, a serif and a sans serif and you just, your brain just kind of works differently and picks up different stuff. So the whole time it's a pro- kind of a different process of we do some handwriting, some computers, some printed back and forth type of thing. So you'll actually go in as you're editing and change the font and that will help you notice different stuff. I've never done that before. Well, so uh, Scrivener is a good example. My default in Scrivener is, I forget what font it is, but it's a, a sans serif. So it doesn't have like the little, it's not like a Times New Roman or Palatina where it has the little kind of flares on the edges of the fonts. And for me, that's easier to read on the, when I'm typing in Scrivener. And so I just print it once by default with that. And then when I get closer to formatting the book, I start doing it with a font that it's actually going to be formatted in, uh, which is typically a, like a Palantino font. And then I print it that way because it's more what, especially since I do print books, it's what the reader would actually see. But then your brain picks up on things that you didn't notice because you're seeing the fonts different ways and it's not automatically making assumptions about misspelled words or things that your brain likes to compensate for automatically. I misheard you. I thought you said you would edit it two different times with two different fonts. Oh, no, no. Uh, so tell us a little bit. Uh, Scrivener is obviously a writing app. Tell us a little bit more about it. Um, it's essentially a Word document tool. It's just, and I, I really don't know how to, the best way to to describe it. It's specifically for writers in that it allows you to organize your writing. It allows you to create like uh, character biographies. Uh, you can insert media, keep everything. It's basically like an organizational tool for the most part. If you were writing pen and paper and creating binders full of world building information that can all be stored electronically in Scrivener and organized appropriately. The thing I like the most is that it helps you format for uh, paperback and ebooks automatically uh, through just a, a formatting system where you can go select checkboxes. It'll put in your table of contents. It'll do all this stuff that a lot of people struggle with because they're, a lot of writers will use uh, Microsoft Office, um, for example, but then they don't know how to format it to put it on Amazon or something like that. Scrivener does all that for you. Just makes the, It makes the, the writing journey a lot easier. I use Scrivener. One thing that I love about it is as a comic writer, I don't care about it formatting the ebooks. I don't care about that. But one thing that it's brilliant with is if I have two different scenes and I think, hey, this one, this scene's going to be better before the other scene, I can flip that just easily. It's just dragging the folder. Oh, yeah. I do a lot of that. When I do my my outlines, for example, I, I put my outlines, I create a new, new section and you can, if you find out, hey, you need to move, re- reorganize something, it's just easy to drop that stuff back and forth and it really is made for the writer. Most Word document editors are made for everybody to use. And this is specifically for the writing community. Obviously, I just said I use Scrivener, but I also use IA Writer. This all started because, you know, you have depression, you suffer from depression. How much does your depression affect your writing? A lot. Um, And it depends on what I'm writing too. a lot. Well, let me put it this way. So I I do write a lot of nonfiction. Uh, A lot of my nonfiction is about depression and actually how to overcome it and kind of some metaphorical examples of how my depression affects me and that sort of thing to help others with depression kind of bring themselves out of it. But then as far as writing fiction, there's kind of some debate on the the whole write what you know um, concept. I think it's kind of like people should write what they know because it helps bring realism into your writing, which makes it more believable. Even if you are writing speculative fiction or uh, and, and that sort of thing, 
almost all of my fiction is based on, you know, a unicorn on fire, obviously not based on experience. Hopefully. But, uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that happens and a lot of the characters, um, like in Fury, the, the character Kawa is a Bigfoot character in his story and his backstory as I, as I develop it deals a lot with my childhood. The, the book I'm writing right now, The Brownie, Bonnie's story has a lot to deal with things that I went through with my family kind of through high school and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of influence and in all of my depression comes from that stuff. And it's I think it's just my life, my life events, less of the depression itself, but the life events that have caused me to have those struggles. Those are what influence my writing, but also kind of like with us going through this phase of shutdowns and, and that sort of thing with COVID, it, it affects me in the sense of I know when I get it, I have to take steps to mitigate it and to continue writing and to continue creating. And um, the biggest effect depression has is kind of this war back and forth between this kind of demon that brings you down and you can fight him every once in a while, but then outside influences give him strength. So they push you down and make it harder for you to do things. And you just have to know that there are tools, there are things you can do to overcome that and to keep creating and keep writing and live a more peaceful life, so to speak. I think that's the biggest way depression affects my writing is just the, that struggle of continuing to create. It's a back and forth struggle of that continuance. Yeah. And we had been talking a little bit before the show. This coronavirus has hit a lot of creators hard. And not just, hey, we don't get to go to conventions anymore and we can't make money. But for a lot of us, conventions are our social outlet. Right. Right. And that's a that's a big thing for me is that for the past 10 years, I've worked at home by myself as a freelance web developer. And then doing this creative stuff, I'm still working at home. I don't have a social circle as far as like work friends and that sort of thing. So the conventions were a big thing that I was like, oh, my social circle is kind of gone like at a moment. Like, and, and you would have understood this too. Like just in, within like two days, I think it was almost all the conventions were like, we're done. And looking forward and going, oh man, what are we going to do sitting here and not having that social stimulation? Because I think most creators would agree that a lot of us, we like the isolation we like being by ourselves because that's when we create, but we also like social stimulation because we draw energy from that and we get creative ideas and it helps us. For for me, the conventions, the big thing is seeing readers and the feedback helps me go, okay, I need to create more. The one thing I did find is like Patreon. I'm working on Patreon tiers and that sort of thing. That helps keep me accountable, which also back to that question of depression, that accountability keeps me out of the depression, but gives me that a little bit of that kind of social stimulus interacting with people on there. Same with Twitter and that. But yeah, that's a social stimulus is is big, is a big one. So we got kind of heavy there for a little bit, Will. Uh, but let's bring up the spirits a little bit. Uh, what was your best moment so far in your writing career? That's a good question. I I don't know. I, I think just knowing that people are enjoying my books and then knowing that people want more. I think I think every time a reader comes up and says, hey, when's the next book coming out? That's kind of like a, a tiny best moment kind of thing that people are enjoying it. They're interested in that this is something that can and will continue. Uh, you know, I always say that as a writer, that's the best compliment that someone can give me is they picked up maybe a book or two and they come back and they want to pick up more. 
I think a lot of people don't realize that even if you don't buy a book, just telling somebody like, you know, one of the things Katrina and I do when we go to go to different authors and stuff at, at shows is not all of the books are something we would be interested in, but we can appreciate the stories. And so just complimenting be like, that sounds like an interesting idea, even if it's not for you giving creatives that uh, that positive feedback. That's what keeps us going and creating and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, to some degree, people, when you hear people say, hey, this is a terrible, I, I hated this. That also drives you too, because there's always um, some good to come out of a negative comment, something you can change, something you can do better, you know, if it's editing or a story or something. But overall, seeing those people in the end result, especially with books and especially in comics too, when you get that end result and the the work is appreciated because you put so much work into it. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand how much work we do put into this stuff. A book can take years to write. Mine didn't, but uh, you think of George R. R. Martin or something. I mean, his books take years upon years to write. And there's just a lot of time, effort, and a lot of people that help uh, when you're doing stuff like that. What was the biggest challenge that you faced so far? I think the, the biggest challenge from a writing perspective is the whole perception of the indie community. There's and you and I have talked about this at conventions too, where there's this perception that if you're not published, you're not good. And then there's this other side of it where if you're not indie, you're not good. So trying to appeal to everyone, get the work into everybody's hands. One of the things like with my cover, a lot of the pushback I, I get is that the cover is too professional. Um, it looks too professional. So probably not an indie book. And then you're like, no, 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 I am an indie artist. I, you know, please, please support me. And people automatically think you're published with a traditional publisher, a contract, you know, you're getting however much a traditional publisher would pay for a three book series or something. And so you lose the people looking for indie books. But then a lot of times people who are looking for publishers, they pick it up. And then when they find out you're an indie, they get more skeptical. I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but there's kind of this back and forth struggle of getting the books into people's hands. My thing is most books are good in, in and of their own right. Um, there's an audience for, for everything. Uh, it's just finding those people that, uh, that will appreciate it. One of the oddest comments I heard was at a convention and I was chatting with a customer. This family came up behind them and I didn't really have a chance to engage with them, but I could hear the conversation and they were like, oh, is this a, is this guy an independent artist or is this a professional artist? And he said, oh, he's probably a professional rep. I just wanted to say, no, no, I'm independent. So the next banners that I get, I really want to have somewhere on there, hey, independent superhero or somewhere have independent there, uh, just so I can push that angle. I actually went that route too. And with my own artwork, created like an indie artist, indie author sign so that those are up and around my booth too. Because it's very interesting the how people make, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but people do. They instantly make a judgment. And it's uh, we've talked about in the past, as long as we can get them to the table, as long as we can get people to talk to us, we can normally sell what we're um, what we're offering and get them interested. Or we can at least qualify them and say, oh, you know, do you like fantasy? And they're like, oh, no, I like sci-fi. OK, well, this isn't for you. No offense taken or anything. Some people just have different different genre preferences and that sort of thing. The judgment always surprises me that people do judge 
the books by a cover or just by what's sitting there. Having a very high production quality. I did a show in Portland called the Portland Indie Con, and it was just independent artists. And with comics, there's stripped down comics kind of in the style of, you know, Robert Crumb or, uh, you know, the more minimalistic styles. And there's people who actually look for that. So when I did this event, everybody there was, you know, that genre. And I was like the only like slick superhero. I did a literary festival once. Um, not realizing that when they said literary, they meant literary genre. And most, I'd say, I'd say three quarters of the people there were speculative fiction authors, but none of the speculative fiction authors were actually selling books. It was all more the literary style, which is more modern world, metaphorical type of stuff. No science fiction, no fantasy. It's very interesting just to see when that happens. That was a pretty big mistake on my part, too. It's just kind of funny. You live and learn. But uh, speaking of mistakes in your author journey, what's been the biggest mistake that you made so far? I've only been published for a bit over a year. I've been writing for so probably two and a half years. I think the biggest thing is no matter who you are and when you start writing, at some point you're going to have to publish. And I, I always tell people this too, because on Twitter, people will talk about editing and different things. And I'm like, nothing is ever perfect. Especially when you first publish, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. There's especially if you're self-publishing. The idea is to learn from everything you do. I think some of the bigger mistakes are just more convention related. Last year, because I did 26 or 27 conventions from March through mid-December last year. And there were some that I didn't vet properly. And I think a lot of people, if they're going to look at doing shows to make money, one, I had a unique situation in that I freelance. I didn't have to worry about taking time off from a 40-hour a week job. So I was able to do that many shows. But properly vetting what shows you're going to and are they doing marketing? What's their audience like? You know, what kind of celebrities are coming in? How many? The marketing side would be the, the biggest one. When it comes to writing, I just write what comes to me. Um, I think editing, there are some edits. Like when I did Caged, the very first print run, I want to say I did 15 copies for a show. We had edited it. We reread it. And there were still things that needed edited. Like not a lot, maybe three or four, but very noticeable. And it was like crap. You know, I, I've got these print copies. So I always think back to other authors where there was a, I forget which one it was, but there was a famous author who released a book and it had been like, it had been out for like five years and that somebody reported an edit on Twitter. And he's just like, how, how did this, you know, we go through all these professional editors, all these people. It's like, nothing will ever be perfect. A story will never be entirely perfected. There's probably going to be some edits. There's probably going to be something you could have done better. The idea is to recognize it and just continue improving as you go and not worry about... I think some people get tied up in the perfection of things. And it's like we're imperfect to begin with. Um, if we're imperfect to begin with, how can we expect perfection? And then people who expect perfection get stuck in an endless loop of going back, revising their script, changing things, just never comes out the way they want it. But I, I think from the from the biggest mistake, it'd be the some of those conventions last year. We walked in and uh, it's like, I should have done more research. Should have done a lot more research on them. But the thing is, if you are going to drive down to the store and you wait for all the lights to turn green before you start, you're never going to get to the store. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a perfect way of saying it. Yeah. Uh, what was the best advice you had starting out? Uh, starting out, I think just to write. I think the best advice you can give anybody is to just write. I'll rephrase that to create. 
you don't get anywhere without creating, you don't get anywhere without writing. And that was my hardest thing, especially dealing with the depression, was sitting down and actually putting my fingers to a keyboard and creating that story. The first story that I did, I actually plotted an entire book. Didn't write that uh, because I didn't feel it was... I still have it too, where it was too big. So I wanted something small. And uh, my counselor was a writer too. So she was like, well, just write something small. So I started with uh, a very short kind of idea that I had that became a novella. The key was to just write. It doesn't matter what you write, how you write, just write. I forget who said it. It was a classical author, or I shouldn't say, like a, like 1950s science fiction author, I believe, who said something like, you will write, as long as you just write and create, you can write 50 stories. You only need one to be good. It's just one to share that's really good. And as long as you're creating, you're always creating something. Not everything's going to be great. Not everything's going to be some magical piece of storytelling. But the idea is, as long as you write, you're getting better. You're writing more stories and you're just getting better and learning the craft. Kind of like you would do with anything, even like piano playing. You ha- you have to sit there and you have to play over and over and over again before you actually get really good. The most common question that I get at shows or Twitter and all these other places is, how do I start writing? And my response is, well, have you started writing? And typically people will be like, no, I have this idea. And I'm like, just start writing. That's what I did. That's what I was told to do. You just start creating. doesn't matter if you're good or you're bad. You can't move from your current position if you don't start doing something, if that makes sense. The hardest part for me with writing, I think, is just starting. Yeah. And that's even today I'm working on uh, a short story for my Patreon. It's been brewing for a while, but I couldn't figure out where to start. I went for a walk and took my little notebook with me and it just, the ideas started flowing. But once I got that first idea out and started writing, here's how I wanted to start. And the sort of the whole story came to me slowly, but it's like a snowball. It slowly comes and then it just faster and faster and faster. And especially when you put your keys to the keyboard, that's where you start to see all the tiny details all of the little character intricacies and, and things that you didn't see before. Something about creativity is you have to actually be in the moment of doing it. You can plan and plan, but if you don't get into the moment of doing it, first of all, you're not going to create it. And then you're not going to see all those little nuances that make it really good. If you want to pick up your books, we can find them at www.willowshire.com. Where else can we find you on in cyberspace? Pretty much on everything. I'm on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the library services. If you're interested in Patreon, I, I have a Patreon account, which is just patreon.com slash Willowshire and uh, doing some interesting things on there too. And I'll be sure to leave a uh, link in the description so people can get, come hit you up. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, Drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off. Under the Mask.